podcasting, the remarkably crowded frontier. These are the conversations of two brothers and their mom. Their 13-episode mission, to explore strange old movies, to seek out new bits and new jokes, to boldly go where no mom has gone before. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Where No Mom Has Gone Before, a Night Shift Radio original. I'm your captain, Casey Ryan. With me, my commander, Colin Ryan. For for a hot second, I thought something was wrong with your mic. Oh my god. And, oh, Admiral on the deck. We have our mother, Laura Ryan. Good evening, everyone. Hello, hello. Hey, so this is the fourth episode. This will be the final episode of this year. We're this yeah. is December, so happy Christmas, whatever you celebrate, and uh, here's to 2022. And this is the first Star Trek Christmas movie. Yeah, all the others were released uh, more in a late summer, and this was mm-hmm. released Thanksgiving and stayed in theaters through Christmas. So it's this feels like a good Christmas one. Oh, it's got a holiday feel. Sure does. We're here to discuss uh, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, or as I like to call it, the one with the whales. Yeah, you and everyone else. Uh Yeah, that's how people know. When you mention a Star Trek movie, like, is that the one with the whales? No. (laughs) I was talking to Dory this afternoon, and I said, we're shooting, we're doing another podcast tonight. She goes, oh, really? I said, yeah. Did you ever watch the Star Trek with the one with the whales? She said, yeah, I really like that. (laughs) <laughs> Watch it again. <laughs> Mom, you got to get your mic closer. Oh, my God. I'm going to swallow it. You're fine. That, Just make sure right. you're talking right into it. You should feel like you're swallowing it. Trust oh me. Lord. Look at your waveform. Hang on. Look I at your waveform. I the mic's in front of my face. Okay, you, but now look back and see where you just were talking and now what you just said, how close it was. Here, watch mine. If I go back here like this... You see how small mine gets? I'm not getting But when away. I come right I'm up not, on it, it's nice and big. I'm not getting away from you. I only get one from me. Oh, are you looking at Audacity or are you looking at Zencaster? I'm looking at Audacity. <laughs> well, then that's why you're not getting one from Colin and I. Oh, that's God. just recording you locally. I'm a senior. Give me a break. Well, I, I don't know how much that's staying in, but some of it might um, man, what a fun watch this was. Oh, my gosh. This is just a delightful movie. It, it's two hours, but all of a sudden we're at uh, Admiral Kirk, you know, letting it let me in, getting transported onto the Bird of Prey. I'm like, oh, crap. There's like 15 minutes left in this thing. It flies by. It is such a fun ride. I, I've got a question about that. Yeah, go ahead. I, about the length? No. I've got a question about why, when she jumps into his arms and says, surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That wouldn't have been possible, would it? Don't they have to have a body signature? You're absolutely or right. Yay. She would have she would have totally messed up the pattern buffer. That's what I mean. But there was no other way to get her on the ship. Sure. There's a couple times in this movie where it also has to do with the fact that at the time we weren't as scientific with the uh, like warp drive. There's a bunch of things they do in this movie that are huge no-nos in canon now for Star Trek. 
uh, using warp. They go to warp inside the atmosphere. Yeah, that would destroy the atmosphere. Bye-bye. <laughs> we saved the whales, but there's no Earth to go back to. <laughs> if you want to rationalize it away with uh, what is politely known as fan wankery, you can say that Klingon transporters are capable of doing more than one person at a time. Sure. I mean, yeah, that's the easiest way. But And in this TED Talk, I will demonstrate that... <laughs> The warp stuff is the one that really kills me more. But then I have to realize this is before Next Gen when we started talking about the warp bubble that's created when you... I mean, the bird of prey goes to warp 9.8, and I'm just like, hang on. The Enterprise uh, D couldn't even do that. Well, allegedly, Next Generation warp scales are different. They're, a tra- they're technically transwarp. But that's, again, extreme fan wankery. None of this matters because... Wait a minute. This is barely a science fiction film. It's a fish-out-of-water 80s comedy. Yeah, 100%, yes. That <laughs> happens to star the characters from Star Trek. It's Back to the Future. Like, there's science, but don't think too hard on it. Yeah, no. Or else none of it's going to make sense. Don't know. I've gone cross-eyed. So oh. what do you got for uh, budget and whatnot for this, Colin? This was one of the first movies where, much like after people liked two so much, there was a sense that they were making a fourth after three right off the bat. They went directly to Nimoy. Uh, he said he would do it, but he had some thoughts on story. And so the film was made... Uh, anyone want to guess what the budget was? $15 million. 22. Casey's closer. It's 21 million, which does represent a slight bump from where we were at with three. Guesses on its box office. Oh, gosh. 115 million. 133 million dollars. That is, that is a very profitable film. <laughs> is that why we got five? Yeah, it's arguably why we got every movie <laughs> until the Abrams reboot because this was the most financially successful Star Trek film of the original sure. series and is thought of as the most accessible to people who aren't necessarily into Trek and things like that so it, sure. uh, it, was, a, it was a huge hit as I mentioned before it was released November 26, 1986 wow. I have an extremely vivid memory of going to see this film I we were in Arkansas Arkansas? I don't ever remember going to a movie in Arkansas. We were there for Thanksgiving. So 1986, so I would have been, I would have just turned eight. And I would have been five. Maybe you didn't come, Casey. You might have had an earlier bedtime or something. But I remember going to see this movie in Arkansas. I had definitely seen some of original Trek at that point, but I hadn't, definitely hadn't seen Search for Spock. I may not have even seen Wrath of Khan because I remember yeah. going, why are they on this ship? Who is Savick? Where is she going? Kirk had a son. And none of this. Ma- but then, of course, I didn't matter. I didn't care, which is actually kind of funny because as big a Star Trek fan as I turned out to be, I kind of got to see it rather like a casual mm-hmm. person who wasn't that into it. And it still worked. I remember it working like gangbusters and enjoying the hell out of it. Uh, you, do you remember that at all, Mom? No. Did I take you? Well, you you must have been there. I think it might have been you and maybe uh, Aunt Kay. P- probably uh, Willie. Maybe. Well, no, I, I don't, don't know. You know, I just that, that I that. just re- I just remember it being. I remember it being Thanksgiving. Well, I mean, I remember it being in Arkansas and it being a sort of holiday gathering. And since it was released Thanksgiving weekend, it must have been Thanksgiving. 
And I just, I remember, because I remember it being a movie theater I didn't know. And I remember piling in the car and being told we were going to see this and not kind of knowing what it was going to be. I can't I don't remember that at all. Yeah. yeah. I vaguely, vaguely have this weird back of mind memory of sitting in a theater and seeing this, specifically when they're crashed on Earth at the end. That feels like a movie theater experience for me. It's yeah. it's probably the first one I would have seen in a first run. I've seen Wrath of Khan in in a, a couple of revivals since then, and then I have seen every one except for a couple of the rest in first run. That's wild. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. So you don't you don't have any memory of uh, no. of going to see that. I remember seeing this in some iteration of the theater and and like like that. I remember I distinctly remember seeing 5 and 6. I think we all saw Generations together. I think that was the probably la- yeah. would have been the last one we would have seen as a group. Uh, I sadly did not see First Contact in the theater. Because of mm. what a letdown Generations felt like. I've, mm. I've softened on Generations since, but when we first saw that, I was like, this didn't feel like a Next Generation movie. This is just odd. But yeah. so I missed arguably the best <clears throat> Next Generation movie in the theater. You know, I also I remember you, Mom, explaining certain things to me, like this, like just the general, the, the, the sort of meta joke of, they're all dressed like weirdos and nobody notices because it's San Francisco. Right. You're kind of explaining that or, or that like, or what was up with, with Spock's disguise and, and robe. Yeah. And, and I think you might have also explained the bit about them naming the ship the Bounty. Yeah. My God. Yeah, my, well, I gotta, I'm a lot older than you, so I've got a lot more to, to, to yeah. just remember. <laughs> you, you need to spend some time with the three computers that ask you questions really fast. <laughs> How many days into production did Nimoy say, I want to wear big comfy robes and not have to wear my eyebrow and ear makeup, so let's put a bandana on my head? <laughs> How many days? Day two? Day three? I'm, yeah. <laughs> Original idea was uh, time travel was part of the idea from the beginning, right? Sure was. They talked about traveling to the Stone Age, Ugh. to the 1890s. No. Well, the next generation would later do that. Sure. And then eventually decided that it would be fun to have the clash of them cut traveling to what was then the modern day. Right. And also would save them a ton of money. <laughs> Got it in one. Uh, <laughs> but one of um, Nimoy's big thing was he said he wanted no killing, no shooting, no phasers, no photon torpedoes, no bad guy. And I think that's also why this is so accessible. Mm-hmm. This is ju- literally a... Star Trek. Like, they're on Earth, but it is a trek. It is a voyage. It is a adventure. The biggest, scariest thing they have in the movie is Chekhov falls off of the Enterprise uh, battleship, which was not actually the Enterprise. It was the Intrepid. But that's the worst thing that happens in this film. I mean, all of the oceans get ionized, but other than that. <laughs> but it happens so, so in, in such a vague way that mm-hmm. a, a kid, that's not going to affect a kid. I'm talking about for for, like, a family movie, the scariest moment is when Chekhov falls. And there's that hot, like, two minutes where it's like, oh, he may die. And then Bones gets there. He's like, he's fine. <laughs> Hang on. Let me put some crap on his head and it'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I think if I was a kid, I might find the, I don't know how to describe it, a big baby Ruth. A big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. D- just whatever you do, don't call it V'ger 2, because apparently okay. we are completely ignoring Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yes, that's right. Well, you could also call it The Monolith from 2001 Takes a Nap. 
<laughs> well, I hate to tell you what it really looks like to me, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to say a nice that. Cuban cigar. No. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a, scary. a pizza roller. A pizza yeah, roller. Right, there you go. It would be scary to a kid in a movie theater at home. Ah, uh, I guess. I guess. I mean, I like it. But but it's definitely it's definitely. I was interested. Did you did you try to get the bean to watch this? No, didn't even bother. Oh yeah, mom on oh. podcast. She's the bean. Oh, sorry. Uh, that's okay. I can bleep you. I have the um, technology. <laughs> but it is definitely the most family friendly of I think all of them, and it's the. I think this is the thing we, we keep talking about is like the the sometimes uncomfortable fit of an action of like the language of an action movie and Star Trek. Yeah. And this is the furthest from an action movie of all of these films we're going to talk about, I think, right? This also handles humor really well. Star Trek has a problem sometimes with humor. They're almost like <laughs> They're almost like like a divorced dad who's got his kids for the weekend. Like, we're going to have fun. We're going to make this funny and fun. And they just kind of like cram in the humor. And it, it ends up being not funny. The humor in this is so subtle and incidental that it just it makes it funny. I was really wondering. In part, I haven't seen the movie in probably 15, 20 years. And I was really mm-hmm. wondering if I was going to find that the humor hadn't aged well for me. That it was corny. That it, And it. It's very of its time in a lot of ways. It, it is so 1986, this movie. And yet, it walks this amazing tightrope of being self-aware but and tongue-in-cheek, but never sarcastic, not mocking the characters or the situation. Not like, at it, all. That's not easy to do, and it, it really threads that needle. Yeah, there's only one joke in the entire movie, or one phrase that's used, that I was just like, yeah. I, yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. The the FBI agent interrogating Chekhov. I was like, oh, there's that word that we just shouldn't use. Okay. Yeah. What? Um, what word? He leans over to his partner and he says, "What do you think?" And he goes, oh. "He's a Ruski." He goes, "I know he's a Ruski, but he's some sort of." It's just no, never, never. I don't like the word being used in that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, but I don't have to go yeah, back and but, watch that. But that's fine. He, you can tell he me calls him. He, do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. yes, you're right. I'd forgotten. Yeah. yeah, I'll cut that. But yeah, that's has no place being a comedic beat. And there are, and there are words to replace it. He's some sort of mental patient. He's been too close to Chernobyl. Okay, maybe we were too close to Chernobyl yeah. to make that joke. Yeah, no, the Chernobyl hadn't even happened. But you've got to remember, eighty-seven. What, yeah, Chernobyl happened. Eighty-six. If, if, oh, this is 86. When did Chernobyl happen? 80. Oh, okay. Okay. Chernobyl hadn't happened yet. But Jesus. the thing is, you got to remember at the time this movie was shot, it was that perfectly it was, normal it was to acceptable. say that. Yes. So in today's world, no. We have covered I'm, I'm sorry. Movie. Chernobyl was 86, uh, but April. So it was like while this was filming. Ugh, Jesus. <laughs> it's just, it's like um, for Patreon for Superpod HeroCast, we did <laughs> Monster Squad. And the F word, uh, British slang for a uh, cigarette, is in there a couple times. And you're just like, ooh, God, <laughs> that's so uncomfortable. The 80s, we just, oof. Yeah, we did. Hey, did you see who was almost cast in this thing, Colin? Yes, this is I, this is the greatest almost cast that I mentioned in the very first episode. I'll let you go ahead. <laughs> I know what, I, I found it, but go ahead. Do you know this one, Mom? No. An original draft of... The script involved there being another character who was later sort of folded into the role of, of uh, 
uh, Dr. Jillian, um, why am I blanking on her last name? Because she says uh, just call her Jillian. Yeah, of the marine biologist. Uh, And this was a UFO conspiracy (laughs) enthusiast who was, the role was written for and extensive casting talks were had with Eddie Murphy. You have to say words, Mom. You can't just nope, shake your nope, head. Nope, 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 <laughs> well, nope, nope. I mean, it, look, it's 1986. You want to make a Star Trek movie. You want to make a Star Trek comedy. There is no bigger name in comedy in 1986 than Eddie Murphy. Sure. Um, it, I mean, look, I, it could have been interesting. Um, for, for the whole I, movie, maybe not. Oh. Maybe a yeah. scene or two, like the... the, the uh, um, transparent aluminum guy have a have a scene with him. 1986 Eddie Murphy does not come in and do one scene. <laughs> this is true. 1986 Eddie Murphy probably gets billed above Shatner. Oh boy, that would have been fun. <laughs> Eddie Murphy's Star Trek Four. Could have been he could have been an, and also starring. Yeah, yeah, maybe it would have been an also. That's yeah, well remembered, Mom. Let's well, something with the, he was in talks to do Beverly Hills Cop Two at the same time. Uh, no, what he wound up. Doing instead was uh, oh, the Golden, Golden Child. Child. Oh, I, I, I want the knife. Which rather ended the spectacular 1980s run of Eddie Murphy hits. God, that movie's rough. Yeah. You know, it probably wouldn't work, but it's definitely an interesting bit of trivia. And I remember reading that in like Starlog and sometime at point in the 90s and being like, wait, what? So much like... Wrath of Khan, there was an early draft that didn't quite work for people, and they decided to scrap it, keep the basic idea of the story, and they brought in none other than Nicholas Meyer. Hey, we know him. The way apparently it went was Nicholas Meyer, director and writer of The Wrath of Khan, said, "Let me do. I'll do the second act, the middle of the film, while they're time-traveling to San Francisco. Harv Bennett, you write the beginning and the end. The future stuff. Okay. And it, I, and it makes sense. He also said, can we not do San Francisco? Because, of course, he had made a movie called, in 1979, called Time After Time, about right. a time traveler in San Francisco, which is, if you go and watch it, it's got a lot of the same fish-out-of-water comedy. But from the other direction, it's somebody who's come from the 1890s. Yeah. So he was like, can I not do San Francisco again? But they said, no, you have to do San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> it's where Starfleet headquarters is. Is this the film that establishes that? Is this yes. where Starfleet headquarters establishes being in San Francisco? Okay. That yeah. is established, and there there is also a president of the Federation. Yes, yes. Dr. Beardface. Yes. It's Beardface. Why do you people insist on calling me Beardface? That's sort of the, the most of the prep and the pre on this. It's is really, it just has the greatest almost cast wildness in almost all of Star Trek. If he had done it, would that be bigger than Christian Slater having one scene in Star Trek VI? Well, we'll talk about why Christian Slater has one scene in Star Trek VI. I know why he has one scene in Star Trek VI. Besides, Christian Slater is a big Star Trek fan. A lot of these, Mm -hmm. like, uh, who do they always want to get? I mean, that's how they got Guinan on Next Generation. Whoopi Goldberg was a huge Star Trek fan. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, a lot of times they get people for that, yeah. While we're talking about Next Gen real quick, do you know? Do you remember the episode where the guy says he was from the 27th century and he was actually from the 21st century and mm. it was Matthew Fuhrer? Vaguely. That part was written specifically for Robin Williams and he had to drop out at the last minute and they got uh. him to come in instead. I was like, oh, 
he almost got Robin Williams. Oh, I think I remember that. Yeah, he kept like stealing tech on the ship, and he was going to bring it back and right, 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 make his fortune doing that. Okay, who's reading the wiki summary this week? Me. Oh, we'll just go round robin. So you'll do. (laughs) Ha ha! You get the final frontier. (laughs) Sorry, I, I quit. (laughs) <laughs> let's uh let's dive into the actual movie now um before i start reading this i i remember this was a fun romp of a movie and man it's real hard to recover from the challenger tribute before anything else yeah i mean Ooh. yeah I, you, true. Know, you remember that colin don't you yeah, the challenger um that's crazy being, being sent yeah. home i think early I from too. school Sure. Yeah, we watched it up uh, up in the TV room upstairs when oh, the yeah. TV room was upstairs. Yeah, it's just like, oh, because, you know, if you've seen the movie before but you've forgotten about that, you're like, yeah, this is the one with a lot of comedy, Captain There Be Whales, and then it's like, oh, the Challenger. Yeah. All right, anyways, but you have time to recover because it wouldn't be a TOS movie without a full symphony suite with all of the like nothing else happens but just names uh so new composer leonard roseman has Mm -hmm. come in i actually had a note here about the uh score or at least the the opening i I wrote light operetta not opera so the horner scores are you know i mean it's uh, they're almost like prokofiev it's very like intense and this is just i mean it, it it's this is i mean it also this is where the Christmas thing came in. It was like, there's bells and shit. I mean, it's just such a <laughs> joyous light. Don't you think it kind of sets the stage for, hey, don't, you know, this isn't going to be a nail biter of a movie or a tense one like Wrath of Khan was, you know? Yeah. You're going to have fun in this movie. It does, it does. Uh, yeah, Leonard Roseman, he did the scores for East of Eden, Rebel Without a Cause, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Barry Lyndon, uh, Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. He's, you know, for. He's been around for a long time, and I think he and uh, Nimoy were friends, and that's how they he wound up when uh, when Horner didn't want to come back. Yeah. So okay, we I'm, I'm not going to read from the Wikipedia yet because it actually starts with the probe coming, and there's the whole thing that's setting up Star Trek VI. So we got to talk about it with somehow this council that's watching the the trial of Kirk in essence, has the footage from Star Trek Three. Oh, yes. I mean, that's the same as Including last time. Including the outside shot of the Enterprise exploding. I'm like, hang on, who's filming this? What's this? I, I actually have the same note. <laughs> they have the film clips. Again. Because they... Again, Because, yeah, because when, when they were showing Spock's death, it was just... It was just somebody's VHS of of Wrath uh, <laughs> of God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It is... I accept it as how they made these movies, but that is definitely a film trope that always rubs me a little the wrong way. It's like, so you guys just rented the movie? What? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's perfectly made fun of in uh, Spaceballs. Get me the video cassette of Spaceballs the movie. I do not think I ever quite cottoned on to that being the specific trope that they're making fun of. That's quite good, yeah. <laughs> Behold the quintessential devil in these matters, James T. Kirk, renegade and terrorist. Can we spend a minute on the Klingon ambassador and how absolutely fantastically seen-steely he is? It's John Shuck. John Shuck. He's so good. He's great. I actually have that same note, John Shuck. So John Shuck, he was sort of one of uh, Robert Altman's 
uh, recurring players in the 70s. He's in MASH. He is in yeah. Mickey and Mrs. Miller, Brewster McCloud, Thieves Like Us. He'd been around for forever. Um, he has the distinction of being the first actor uh, in Hollywood history to utter the word f- in a major studio film. Wow. Yeah, in, in MASH. He's the dentist, painless Paul Wadalski in MASH. Wow. Yeah, yeah, he's painless, yeah. Yeah, they called him painless. Um, yeah. But he's he's just, he's so, he's in this and then he comes back in Undiscovered Country, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And he's just so good in As that. The yeah, he's the Klingon ambassador again. And he just absolutely sells everything of it. He has one of those great baritone voices. We have the right to preserve our race. He's the perfect Klingon up until this point, until we get Michael Doran. It's just like, holy crap, he's so good. And, you know, when he leaves... Remember this well. There shall be no peace as long as Kirk lives. But it's, it, it pissed that guy off. That's why I was surprised not to see him again in the movie. I mean, the way it went, I'm wondering if when they shot that, that they were planning on maybe having him later in the movie, but then it got rewritten and he wasn't? That's entirely possible, yeah. It's weird that he's not at the trial. It's very strange he's not at the sentencing at the end. But I think it's continuing to sort of slowly building the canon of of, uh, Klingon culture. This is, as far as I can tell, the first time we've ever seen a Klingon who's not part part of their Starfleet, their military, you know? Right. He's a Klingon who has a job other than Military, right? And this is the first in the uh, in the movies that we haven't seen in their in the war uniform. He's in like I don't know, Klingon casual yeah. I, robes. Still has a bandolier. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're not giving that up. Klingon justice is a unique point of view. When Savick comes in mm-hmm. and like accuses them of murdering Kirk's son and all this stuff, and he says, "Your vessel did destroy USS Grissom. Your men did kill Kirk's son." Do you deny these events? We deny nothing. We have the right to preserve our race. You have the right to commit murder. And suddenly the entire crowd's like, ooh, murder. I'm like, he just said it like 30 seconds ago. Were you all playing Pargisi? What's happening? They were playing dominoes. So he storms out. <laughs> and did anyone else watch this with ca- closed captioning on? Mm-mm. Oh, I Did you do. catch that when he says the thing about as long as Kirk is alive, there will be no peace? There's someone in the back that goes, No, really? That I never <laughs> caught. Until you see the captioning, I'm like, oh my god, that's the best. Oh, yeah. So thank you, yeah. closed captioning, for giving me the hardiest laugh I had watching this movie. Because it was something new and different. That's an extra who was told to do Walla and was like, Come on, you're, I'm going to get my SAG card out of this. Right, he brought his whole family. He's like, that was me. I yelled, you pompous ass. I'm I'm the guy who yells, you pompous ass. <laughs> yeah, that would be great on a resume. Okay. It's so like the guy in Superstar is like, be cool. <laughs> hey, cool it, man. Yeah, that's it. Hey, cool it, man. <laughs> Which I may or may not have yelled when I played Simon. No yeah. one ever heard it because everyone else was hubbubbing at the same time. I just like, hey, cool it, man. <laughs> okay. Um <clears throat> On to Wikipedia. I don't know about this very first line here. In 2286, is it ever established that we are 300 years in the future? Exactly? Yeah, I think that may be somebody uh, on Wikipedia deciding. We should check StarTrek.com. I bet they have it down. Um, While you look, I'll keep reading. An enormous cylindrical probe moves through space, sending out an indecipherable signal and disabling power 
of every ship it passes. The indecipherable signal, obviously we know is you know, sped up sound of a humpback whale. The noise that it makes, that's Leonard Nimoy. Is it really? <laughs> yes, Leonard Nimoy's like, it needs to make a noise when it's moving through space. And the guy's like, well, what noise should it make? He goes, I don't know, something like, wah, 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 wah. he goes, well, come over here and we'll record it. And he just synced it and did a bunch of stuff to it. <laughs> so next time you watch the movie, just think of Leonard Nimoy standing in front of Mike going, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> That is delightful. Uh-huh. So uh, as it uh, takes up orbit around the Earth, its signal disables the globe power grid and generates planetary storms, creating catastrophic sun-blocking cloud coverage. The captain on the outpost that calls into Starfleet Command, the... Um, Middle Eastern actor. Are you, uh, I think he's South Asian, and he's not an outpost. He's the captain of the um, Saratoga. The Saratoga, excuse me, yes. Um, no, sorry, not the Saratoga, the Yorktown. The Yorktown. Oh, right, because uh, Brock Peters says, uh, give me the Yorktown. It was weird that he never looked at the camera. It was a very interesting choice, and it's super, super uh, Disturbing that he's kind of like, if you're the camera that he would be giving the distress message to, that he's always kind of looking over to the right. It was, I don't know if that was Nimoy's way of saying that he doesn't know the camera's on or he's just in such distress he, he doesn't know where he's looking. It was just a really odd choice for, for the actor, but also a strong, I mean, I think it, good choice, I thought. I think it works. I noted this down that, that the actor appeared to be, I should look up who he was, but he appeared to be South Asian. And I was like, that's like, I, I, I actually can't think of a lot of other South Asian roles. And it's definitely an area of representation that Star Trek has not had in great abundance. Speaking of, of which, uh, I believe the captain of the Saratoga, who's played by uh, Madge Sinclair, is both the first female and the first black woman captain we see. Yes, and she goes on to be Jordy's mother on Next Generation. That, she does play that role. We get, a, right. we get a lot of people in this movie. Sorry, they're both also the rare non-Americans. Yes. She's Jamaican, and that actor does not speak American English, who, pl- who plays the Yorktown captain. Though they both captain ships named after specific battles in the American Revolution. Awkward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I kind of wonder about that as a naming convention. I get it because they want it to, to resonate with with current naval things, but, like, would you really name a ship for a United Federation of Planets after a victory from one particular country on one particular planet? Yeah. Uh, no, you wouldn't. Uh, I mean, <laughs> but the Yorktown, wasn't there a Yorktown on TOS? Yes, yes. That's, I'm sure, why it's why it's there, yeah. I believe the Yorktown on uh, is also another Constitution class. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think every other ship we saw on, on TOS was a Constitution because they didn't have a budget to build another ship. Got to use the got to reuse those models. Uh, yeah, we get actually two actors that will go on to be in Next Generation and in Deep Space Nine. Match and Claire will be Jordy's mom, and Brock Peters will end up being Cisco's dad. True. Yeah. Starfleet Command sends out a planetary distress call. Uh, I love when uh, Brock Peters is like, uh, red alert for the entire planet. <laughs> it's like, that's a bad red <laughs> alert. Uh, and warns all spacefaring vessels not to approach Earth. Wait a minute, I got a question. Yes, I got go right question. ahead. The probe. Yeah. We've kind of mm-hmm. established what it looks like. That thing hanging down. Cohiba. With, with the round. Is that supposed to represent a humpback's brain? Ooh. Oh, interesting. 
let's go with. I yes. always thought of it as. <laughs> I always thought of it as like an antenna. Yeah. Because when 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 they finish before they go, that it goes back in. That that's what's broadcasting the little sphere underneath. Sure. But honestly, I think one of the things that makes the probe work is that they don't spend a lot of time telling us how it works. It's it's utterly indecipherable and alien. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't look like a ship. It doesn't look like a. Doesn't even look like a Borg cube. You know, which will be the the next great like. Wow, this is so foreign to our idea of spaceship design that it it's an arresting thing it looks almost natural Mm -hmm. like it like it looks like it's rock or 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 you know and and i think that that is great because it just adds to the mysteriousness we don't try to explain it it's not here to talk to us but to that point when they figure out that it's here to talk to humpback whales and like they're only indigenous to earth it does kind of raise a plot hole of then where did this come from like well, I would invite you to read the Star Trek novel Probe, oh boy. which explains all of this, which is definitely a novel I have read uh, when I was, like, 12. Wait, it, is and it about this probe? Yeah. Oh, uh. yeah. It explains the whole thing and where it all came from, and I don't, I don't remember. It's kind of a mess. That's going to be a hard pass for me. I'm good. <laughs> I don't need you to know that You probably couldn't even much. find it. Uh, I'm sure you oh, can find you it can online. F- yeah. You can find it. Okay, so we're now on the planet Vulcan. Former officers of the late USS Enterprise are living in exile. How long have they been in exile? Kirk says it in his uh, thing. Is it? I think he says three months. Three months. Three months. Okay. We're in the third month of our Vulcan exile. Accompanied by the Vulcan Spock, still recovering from his resurrection. Sometimes it takes a while to recover from resurrection. Um, Mm. The crew, uh, except for Savick, who remains on Vulcan. We won't get into why she remains on Vulcan. Do we all know why in the original script she remained on Vulcan? Yes. Mom, do you you know about this? I heard rumors that she was pregnant, but I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like you're gossiping at the hair salon now. (laughs) Well, I I heard heard rumors Savick was pregnant. There was a little pon far on the Uh, planet Genesis. They took things a little too pon far. Um, (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. I don't feel good about that one. <laughs> you weren't supposed to. Okay. That's fair. Um, yeah, no. like, when the ship takes off, I wanted her to turn to Amanda and be like, by the way, you're going to be a grandmother. <laughs> well, no. Apparently, they shot scenes where Amanda knows and is trying to tell Spock, and that Savick explains to Kirk why she isn't telling Spock. You see that, that very brief interaction that Spock and Savick have. Good day, Captain Spock. May your journey be free of incident. Live long and prosper. If you took that just that scene and dropped it in that larger context, it's all being played by the actors. Sure, sure. They just decided to jettison it. Um, yeah. And meanwhile, it, yeah, it makes Robin's performance seem a little weird, like how awkward she is around Spock without any explanation of why. Well, we know why because yeah. she had Pon Far with him. Yeah, they're just—it's <laughs> the morning after. It's like <laughs> no, it's three months later. One thing I noticed about was was that scene where she talks about David's death. Oh. Uh, is that is is how nicely she sort of uses pauses. I have not had the opportunity to tell you about your son. David died most bravely. He saved Spock. He saved us all. I thought you should know. To show us a person who doesn't use their, who doesn't access their emotions, talking about it, something that would be very emotional. Yeah, Robin is a really nice job with that scene. Um, both of them do. 
The real reason Savick stays is because the character of Savick, whether play, whoever's playing her, was created to replace Spock because they were going to kill him. And then they brought him back, and they don't need another Vulcan around. And, and, and by this point, they've lost interest in that idea of like, oh, well, we'll change out some people. And we'll, yeah, they want to we'll stay with the direction. original crew. Yeah, It's the original crew. The original crew stays with this ship. They stay basically in the roles they had. Everybody not going to Earth had better get off. The crew of the Enterprise takes the captured Klingon bird of prey, renamed the HMS Bounty after the uh, Royal Naval ship, and return to Earth to face trial for their actions. Receiving Starfleet's warning, Spock determines the probe signal matches the song of an extinct humpback whale. That I have no problem with, how quickly he finds that. He's scrolling through. But the fact that it takes them four minutes from Earth is under attack to we have to time travel. It's so quick. Like, oh, God, no, Earth's I under lo- attack. I lo- <laughs> time travel is the only answer. <laughs> I, I loved it. I loved it. Because the time travel is when the time travel is when the, the sort of, here we go, folks. We're making a, basically a screwball comedy <laughs> begins. And... And, and it's like, well, our only solution is to time travel. Start your computations for time warp. It's just like, oh, of, of course. <laughs> yeah, sure. And that, that's what we should do. We should totally time travel. And then um, when Bones and Kirk are walking back to the bridge, and he's like, you're not actually thinking about doing time travel. And Kirk's like, we've done it before. When? When did Wait, the TOS what? cast time travel? What? They time traveled many times. Um, all our yesterdays. Uh, but wasn't that assign, assignment Earth, um, city on the edge of forever? But wasn't that all some, some deity or something? It wasn't they caused the time travel. City on the edge of forever is via the um, what do you call it? The Guardian of Forever. Right, right, right. The the big. But but the, they use the slingshot around the sun at least once, maybe twice. Oh. This is a... F- in the- oh, okay. Okay, fine. And then I have very little objection going on, because I just... I didn't realize that they did the slingshot around the sun on TOS. What? Excuse me. What is TOS? The original series. The original series. series. TOS, TNG, DSN, or DS9, if you're nasty, uh, V-O-Y and okay. no. E-N-T. Got it. Or mm-hmm. the one no one wants to talk about, sadly. What are they called? Discovery. Disco. <laughs> yeah, it's it's and, and to the point where season two, if you notice, anytime they're doing all those that running through the ship, they're all wearing like t-shirts and they all say disco, and they're just like, yeah, we're gonna lean right into the what the fans like. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the two episodes of the the original series in which they use uh, the slingshot effect are Tomorrow is Yesterday and Assignment Earth. Okay. Assignment I, Earth is the one with uh, Terry Gar that was a, supposed to be a backdoor pilot for something else but didn't become it. Mm-hmm. I don't remember yeah. Terry Gar being on Star Trek. Oh, Assignment Earth is a good episode. I am not that familiar with TOS. It's probably the one I'm the least familiar with. No, so they so the slingshot thing is they're, they're, it's actually like just the most common way they use do time travel in. And again, warp does not make sense here because how can this little Klingon bird of prey do warp 9.8 when the Enterprise's top speed is, uh, the Enterprise D, excuse me, top speed is 9.3. Because Scotty fooled with it and he's magical. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Scotty, Scotty, Scotty. Mm -mm -mm. 
So they determine that it's a match for extinct humpback whales. They do time travel. They use time travel around the slingshot maneuver around the sun. Oh, had I read ahead, slingshot maneuver around the sun is highlighted on Wikipedia. Yes, but if you click it, it does not take you to the Star Trek episodes. It takes you to um, a gravitational slingshot article, which is a real a real thing. So, you know, slingshotting around the the moon is uh, is part was part of the Apollo things. Uh-huh. Uh, slingshotting around, I think, also around the Earth. No, yeah, uh, no, sorry, slingshotting around Jupiter was how Voyager one got enough speed to get out of the solar system. Hmm. Um, right. Yep. It's it's part of it's something you can set up in orbital mechanics if you time it out that you can gain get gravity by slingshotting around a larger gravitational body. Isn't that part of uh, in the Martian? Don't they slingshot around the Earth to go back to Mars to get enough speed to do it? Possibly. I only saw the movie. I never read the book. The book and the movie are Vastly different, but also both wonderful. Oh, yeah. Which is the only problem. Every much like uh, Dracula, everything's in past tense, so you're never right. really worried for anybody the whole time. <laughs> like, well, if Jonathan's writing this, obviously Jonathan survives this attack on Dracula. <laughs> it's a problem with epistolary novels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so the crew of the Enterprise ends up in 1986. Uh, they find the ship's power drained by the time travel maneuver. It's not really drained, Wikipedia. They've depleted all the dilithium, uh, and that's a big problem. But again, no, I, science, science, science. There was a dubious flirtation with nuclear fission reactors, resulting in toxic side effects. I do, I do like that they're like... Brief flirtation with nuclear fission. You know? <laughs> well, I think in 86, we're like, we're going to get rid of this, right? <laughs> this is yeah, bad. Yeah. And meanwhile, we're still... Mm. <laughs> I loved the uh, when they land in San Francisco or in uh, Golden Gate Park. First, this is probably the beginning of um, George Takei's cadence really coming out and shining. San Francisco. I was born there. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Why are you doing an announcer voice? It's fantastic. <laughs> but when they land in Golden Gate Park and the two uh, waste disposal guys are there and goes, Did you see that? No, and neither did you, so oh, shut up. I didn't see that. <laughs> I love, and I always remember, I, I think I remember it being, like, it's one of the funny jokes I remember liking in the very first time I saw it. Was. Everybody remember where we parked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good one, too. Well, I can't figure out why nobody in Golden State Park saw those indentations. Yeah, I mean, have you ever been to Golden Gate Park? It is huge. Yeah, but there's somebody. A, there's, a, there's a whole pen full of bison. Also, don't forget, Mom, this movie takes place in roughly 24 hours. Yeah, that's true. It, it, they're not there very long. Hmm. Which I forgot until this watch. I was like, oh, yeah. I did and have had the same question, at which point I've said, eh, I don't care. Because <laughs> it's a fun movie. Again, it's back to the future. Don't think about the logistics too much. <laughs> Your brain will hurt. <laughs> Kirk and Spock head off to find the humpback whales. They send Scotty, McCoy, and Sulu on a mission together. And Uhura and Chekhov are tasked with finding... The naval base in Alameda... It's where they keep the nuclear vessels. 
And the cop doesn't say anything to them. He just stands Because at the him. cop's real. Everybody in that scene is real. That is like candid camera style shot. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's a myth. No, don't ruin this myth. <laughs> okay, so it's, it's sort of a myth. It's not candid camera. All of those people were hired. Here's how it went. They're all extras. So they're extras who were who were asked to um, just react naturally. Mm. It's being it's in being improvised basically. Gotcha. But with extras, the police officer is a real San Francisco police officer who was assigned as security on the set. Okay. And the woman who says, Ooh, I don't know if I know the answer to that. I think it's across the bay in Alameda. She just react her when they said react naturally. She's like, I don't know. I just started talking. She wasn't supposed to say anything. She was all supposed to kind of ignore. She said something. Well, congratulations. You just joined SAG. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's why the cop didn't say anything because he wasn't a member of SAG. She apparently she had that actress who said that had asked like begged to be given the featured extra bit. So you can be background artists. They don't call them extras anymore. They call background mm-hmm. artists. But then if you do, like, if you ha- go up and even if you don't say anything, you get an extra pay bump for uh, doing that. Apparently her car had been impounded and she really needed the pay bump. Oh. Well, oh I'm glad gosh. she got it. Yeah, except I can tell you from from uh, from experience, she spent a hell of a lot more to join Screen Actors Guild oh. than she got that pay bump. That's very true. Yeah, but that's a little bit of an urban myth that it was entirely candid camera. But it is it is have a loose improv feel, which is real. It's so delightful. It's one of the best it's scenes a f- in the movie. Nope, nope, well, nope, you know, nope, it, nope, it's nope. another. It's we talked about this when we talked about Search for Spock, and I think a lot of it comes from these being Nimoy's twenty years now co-workers, and this does come out twenty years basically uh, from the premiere of the original series, yep. sixty six to eighty six. Um, is he? He wants there to be something for everybody to do. He wants the whole ensemble gets some fun stuff to do. Right. Everybody gets a slice of the pie in this one. Yeah. There was actually a, a whole sequence for Sulu that didn't wind up being shot where he was going to meet a kid who turned out to be his great, 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 great grandfather. Yes. But the child actor got really nervous and couldn't shoot. But like years later, Nimoy wrote in uh, one of his memoirs about regretting not having that scene because he really wanted to highlight everybody and not just like, you know, the first two films are really Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and and everybody else is there too. Right. And we're going to go back to that in the next one. Well, there'll be some featured moments for actors in the next one, which everyone involved may wish weren't filmed. Gee, I can't imagine what you're talking about. Gee, I can't wait to watch this. Oh, mom, it's a... I could spend another 20 minutes talking about how wonderful this scene is. To the point where, Colin, you and I are both part of the Thespian Troop 98 out of uh, Fayetteville Manlius. Yes. And one of the fun, silly things we could do is when we had our pledges, we could uh, have them say different things when they saw us in the hallways. We gave some bullshit actor like, you got to be able to know your cues, but it was just to mess with them. It was fun. And I made my friend Matt walk around asking people if they knew where the nuclear vessels were. <laughs> whistles. The whistles. Whistles. The whistles. Oh, we, we also skipped that uh, they realized they need money. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Kirk sells his glasses that McCoy gave him. Weren't those a birthday present from Dr. McCoy? And they will be again. That's the beauty of it. And he's just grinning like a total con man in that scene. <laughs> Kirk is really like fun that. in this because, you know, Kirk, most confident man in the galaxy, is just, I mean, he is clearly... He pretends even to his crew that he knows what the hell is going on, you know. He's he's explaining swearing to them. Why don't you watch where you're going, you dumbass? What a double dumbass on you! There's two lines in here that I want to mention that I thought were very revealing. And I can I know when one of them was said, but I can't remember when um when the first one that Excuse me. Nothing that is unreal exists. Do you remember that line? No. Yeah. Do you remember that from the, from the from the? I don't remember where it was, but I thought, wow, that's profound. It's in Spock's test. What was Gary Kim Fos first law of metaphysics? Nothing unreal exists. It is attributed to a fictionalized thing, but like many things, it turns out to be. It looks like it's a, a quote from a real Earth philosopher that they dress up in. Um, looks like it might be from a course in miracles by Helen Schuchman. Interesting. Nothing that is unreal. But it sounds very Spock, Spockodian, Spockodian, Spockish. Vulcan? <laughs> there, there you go. Vulcan. And it sounds very Vulcan. <laughs> oh, that was great. Spock and Spock, Spock in the mouth. <laughs> the other one is when, after they've, he's met the whales, and he goes... It's never been proven their intelligence is oh, in any way... Oh, come on, Bob. I don't know about you, but my compassion for someone is not limited to my estimate of their intelligence. This movie does such a great job of talking about a very relevant issue in 86, the almost extinction of humpback whales, Mm -hmm. but never feels preachy about it. Like, it tiptoes around it with when they're at the Cetacean um, Institute and they're watching the video. To hunt a species to extinction is not logical. Whoever said the human race was logical. But it happens all so quick, and we move on from it. It's like in all the Richard Donner's films, there's some sort of political or humanitarian statement that is subtext in there. You mm-hmm. know, I think it does such a wonderful job in this movie of of not bogging the movie down with being preachy about it, which I forgot to look up, but I, I think the population of humpback whales has quadrupled since the release of this film, so we did it. They went from extremely endangered to threatened to, I believe they're no longer, uh, they're like, they're just monitored at this point. Japan's still hunting them, I believe. I don't think it's legal, but there are, I I don't believe any country currently allows it legally, though certain countries obviously have more, um, problems with, with piracy. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Star Trek. Yeah. yeah, I just thought those two statements were just really, they kind of grabbed me. Yeah, so the nothing in the real exists is, in the film, is to a uh, Kiri Kintha, is what it says here, I looked it up, which is a fictionalized thing, but apparently it's from a sort of like 70s New Age book uh, called A Course in oh. Miracles. That's um, crazy. Yeah, but it's, uh, it is like, you know, it could come out of any, you know, metaphysical philosophy book. Yeah. The idea of uh, this being a message to this film, it's, it is a, a careful soft pedal. Like you go, you walk away remembering the jokes, but you do, mm-hmm. you know, you were saying mom about some, something that would be disturbing for uh, a kid watching it. And I do think this is probably like one of the most kid friendly 
mm-hmm. ones. But the the I part I do sort of remember being disturbed by as, as a kid was the very real, I assume, stock footage of whales being oh. hunted and cut open. Oh, yeah. 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 And the I guy just... turning the boat, oh, my God, if he had turned the, it, I mean, that's gone down around a thousand times. That we, that thing would just be going in circles well, when he's trying to get out of the way from the... Of the... Well, look, if a giant bird of prey decloaks in front of you, your wits are probably not going to be... Was I driving? What's happening? It's just unreal. They should have just had him hold it at one angle to go around. It's very unrealistic. <clears throat> oh, how he spun the wheel? Yeah, yeah. Sp- the wheel yeah. wouldn't have spun like that. To I, the point where his his first mate starts spinning with him like, are we still spinning this thing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. the heat, I don't think he was the first mate. I thought he was the captain. The captain would have been steering. The first mate would have been the watch. Uh, Captain would not necessarily have been at the wheel. Whatever. Um, That's the helmsman. You and I were discussing Sunday. That's true. This is is one of the, as far as I know, because I can't remember most of them, but this is one of the few Star Trek movies where there's no bad guy. There's no villain. Yeah. There's no villain. But there is. Humanity. People. It's the way it's destroyed the whales. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it it is a, a stinging indictment at times of the worst... Uh, impulses of, of people. It's interesting because I, you know, I I was watching it. I thought about what a 1986 environmental concern humpback whales were, and kept just kept thinking about like today this film would be about climate change, you know, right? In some way yeah. or not, you know. Excuse me. Which, in a way, it it is the beginning of the movie. Is yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. 2012. You know, it's it's, it's end of days. It's all that good stuff. Am I stopping that damn noise? Did anyone recognize the punk rocker? No. Kirk Who was it? Thatcher. He is a puppeteer for Jim Henson Studios. He actually is also the person singing the song on the boombox. Yeah, no, so his, his original noise. piece. That's not a song. Mm-hmm. That's noise. Oh, well, that's the, very the funny. Th- you, it's funny you say that because I, I remember, obviously, I remember the punk on the bus. It's one of the, be- the highlights of the film. And I remember the song, and I remember hearing it now and being like, you know that's like that's like a a soft Green Day cut. Like it's not it's not that yeah. it's not hard edged <clears throat> at all. Do you know how he wound up with that part? Uh, I I I did at some point. I've forgotten. So he was an associate producer on the film. He had been an ILM technician for a while right. and actually worked on one of the previous movies. He was an associate producer on the film, and they wanted they had this scene set, but they hadn't cast somebody. And he had been a punk and. Didn't look that way anymore, but went to Nimoy and said, well, let me play it. Let me do it. Let me do it. I'll go. I, I, I've had my hair cut in a mohawk before. I'll do and he went and he bought all of those own clothes, got his hair cut and dyed, comes in. He, he said the first person he runs into on the set is DeForest Kelly. Oh, no. Who just looks him up and down and says, nice shoes. <laughs> Yep, that's Mr. Kelly. <laughs> and and so then he went and he shot it and he recorded this in that they had they were gonna put like Duran Duran or something through the boombox. He's like, no, no, no. I'll, I and he got some he had played in punk bands, so he went and he played, and they were actually they gave him a Paramount lot studio and they started recording it and he said, Oh, this is this sounds too good. This sounds too good. So they went out and recorded it in the hallway so it would sound more authentically shitty and punk. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there actually has been somebody is like they eventually years later released it as an actual song. Oh gosh! Um, Did it sell? It, and Casey, 
I'm going to be surprised if you if you don't haven't heard this one. You know that Kirk Thatcher appears carrying a boombox in another film, right? No. That film is Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, that's right. Yes, I did read that. He's the one that, hey, are you Spider-Man? He's the guy that's, yep. which that guy just got cast in, in uh, he's in Shang-Chi. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy with the big beard. I'm like, hey, they're just but, moving people around. But yeah, he kind of does a cameo <laughs> as theoretically this a punk rocker. The same guy. Listen, after he got knocked out on that bus to Salsalito, he decided he should move to uh, you know New York City, specifically Queens. Before we get on the bus for with Kirk Thatcher being Vulcan neck pinched, I love walking the streets of San Francisco, looking for a couple of humpback waves. How do you propose to solve this minor problem? Simple logic will suffice. I believe I shall begin by making use of this map. I have the distance and bearing which were provided by Commander Uhura. If we juxtapose our coordinates, we should be able to find our destination. Bus pulls up. It's got the billboard on it. I think we'll find what we're looking for at the Station Institute in Sausalito. A pair of humpbacked whales named George and Grace. <laughs> well, I liked it when they got on the bus and then they got off the bus. Does it mean exact change? Just so many good one-liners. So good. What is? What did you just send us? I didn't get it. Oh. What did you send us, Colin? It's something on YouTube. Oh God! Is it the full song? Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm not gonna listen to it because I oh, didn't well, like it. Listen to it later. <laughs> they get to the aquarium. Doctor Jillian Taylor. There we go. There's her last name. Yes. Is uh, doing a uh, a walkthrough. They go up top. They see definitely not animatronic uh, humpback whales. Um, those are one hundred percent real humpback whales. I think they hold. I think they hold up pretty well. Oh, they hold up, but like now as an adult, I'm just like that's really good puppeteering. Yeah, I think there's some. There's clearly some green screen shots in there too. But right, there's no actual. That's a real aquarium. It's the uh, Monterey Bay. Yes, uh, aquarium. But they couldn't call it that because they needed to go to closer to Alameda. It was and, a geography thing, yeah. And the Monterey Bay Aquarium doesn't have that enclosure, so that's just all green screened, uh, matte painted. That's a matte painting, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so she takes them on this on this uh, tour. It, you know, they specialize in whales. They go up top and see them up there. Then they go down below and they can see them swimming in the water. And who's in the water with them? None other than Captain Spock and uh, <laughs> William Shatner's shock and awe faces are so good. They just get more and more befuddled as he goes. It's so good. Yes, that was one of the things I wanted to mention. It was perfect. It's like he he, he could have had a good career in silent film. Oh well, yeah. And also, it I think it helps that the director was uh, a twenty year friend of his. Could probably talk to him in a way to get that kind of performance out of him. Mm-hmm. If it no. had been another director, look at the next movie. It would have been Ham Central. Like it's a genuine. Oh my God! My friend is in with the whales. Oh no! Oh God, no! It was like he was watching a car accident. It was so good. Yeah, it was. It was definitely. They get out. Uh, Spock <laughs> takes his hand at trying to swear. Does not go well. All right, who the hell are you? What were you doing in there? Attempting the hell to communicate. The colorful metaphors. That's such a great runner. The, the next scene, the scene there where she picks them up. Yeah. The scene inside the truck. To me, is the best scene in the whole movie, oh, yeah. especially when she goes. You guys like Italian? No. Yes. Yes. No. no. Yes. 
No. Yes. I love Italian. And so do you. Yes. While we're there is an ad lib. It was just supposed to be, they both say yes, no together. They both say yes, no together. It was Nimoy and Shatner decided it should be yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes. If you watch very closely, there is a hot second. It looks like Nimoy is about to crack right at the end. It looks like he's about to smirk. Oh, it was. And it, did, did, so, did you go to Berkeley? I did not. <laughs> he did. He has a little, little problem. He, he has a little problem with memory. The LDS. Yeah. Back in the '60s, he was part of the free speech movement at Berkeley. I think he did a little too much LDS. So I didn't get that joke at all the first time. Sure. Oh, of course not. At, Thank goodness you didn't know what that was. <laughs> well, but but then when I saw the movie when I was 12 or 13 or 14, I got the the reference to sort of probably didn't know specifically the Berkeley free speech movement yet, but I knew, you know, the hippies, the 60s. I got that he was screwing up saying LSD. It was only many years later that I got what he was accidentally saying. LDS, the Church of Latter-day Saints. Latter-day Saints. Oh, shit. (laughs) And Casey, Casey just got that now. I did. You (laughs) all got to hear me get that in real time. (laughs) But to me, that's, to me, that is that scene inside the truck. That's great. Are you sure it isn't time for a colorful metaphor? You're not one of those guys from the military, are you? Trying to teach whales to retrieve torpedoes or some dipshit stuff like that? No, ma'am, no dipshit. Well, good. That's one thing I would have let you off right here. Gracie is pregnant. I just think it just... How do you know Gracie's pregnant? She told me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, no, he says, nobody knows that. Gracie does. (laughs) That's right, Gracie does. (laughs) Right. Uh, And I wonder why Spock, as he walks... Why does he have his hands in front of him like a monk? Because Nimoy wanted to walk like a monk. <laughs> he didn't doesn't swing his arms at all. He keeps them cupped right in front of him. I mean, it, except when he's in the pool. It, it works. It works with the outfit. But I think it's probably yeah, also true. he kind of walks that way. On I mean, he just spent three months basically sort of being being a Vulcan monk, the equivalent mm-hmm. of, of a monk on Vulcan, That's you true. know? And if you get down to it, his entire life, like, he doesn't really, truly remember being Spock before yet. Yeah. He's, still, he's still remembering it all. I read that Nimoy had a lot of trouble with this one because this is the most reserved Spock we get, and going from reserved Spock to director having to have high energy to explain a scene... He had a lot of trouble flip-flopping between those two, which I can oh, see. Oh, interesting. That, 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 that would be tough to be like, okay, and now the scene's going to be like, and now, Captain, we're, you know, and have it not feel weird. Um, can we talk about uh, Jillian's boss, Bob, and how he's very clearly and creepily in love with her? <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, I'm like, Bob, walk, step away. <laughs> it's gross. Calling her kiddo, and I was just like, no, 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 Bob, no. Mm. That was so 1986. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> speaking of not very 1986, there is one joke that doesn't, well, that I think is probably in age, which is the bit about Jacqueline Suzanne and Harold Robbins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it works. It works because he's, uh, the the giants the giants <laughs> the giants but, right but of course nobody has any I mean, you mom do you know who those authors are of course 
No idea. Okay. Jacqueline Suzanne? I do, yeah. And the, who was the other one? Harold Robbins. Harold Robbins? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But For a second, I was like, Tom Robbins? No, not Tom Robbins. No, not. I, I've read Tom Robbins' books, but Harold Robbins? Yeah. No, I mean, they're, they're, they're trashy, trashy, soapy romance thriller writers from the late... 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, but not, but like, not ones who have even aged well in the ensuing thirty years. Well, they were the first ones that really that were um, they had explicit sex scenes and, and a lot of sex, and that that hadn't been before 1986, and a lot think. of cursing probably because that's what they're talking yeah. about, right? How they use all, yeah. the, oh, okay. So that makes yeah. that makes sense, but it's it's a very of the moment sort of. Uh, <laughs> And you sort of go, how the hell is Kirk know who they Because <laughs> I don't know who they are, and I was alive in 1986. Well, this is, but this is the this is the thing with uh, Star Trek is that they seem fixated on Shakespeare and Robin Hood and oh, all the open intellectual IPs. You know, are in, uh, oh, D, little D. H. Lawrence in this one, um, yeah. and and I believe doesn't Bones do a little. Uh, doesn't he quote Horatio at some point? Uh, no, he quotes uh, ha- he quotes Hamlet, Act Five, scene, uh, Act One, Scene Four. Angels and ministers of Angels, grace that, defend us. Right, right. But he, which is Horatio? Horatio is the case. He says the, that. The oh, Horatio says it. it. Right. Which which is Horatio is the great friend and skeptic. That's why. I, yeah. Why it works. Gotcha. <clears throat> You know what didn't work for me? Mm-hmm. So when they're, when Jillian is interrogating them after Spock gets out of the pool, and Spock's... Admiral, if we were to assume that these whales are ours to do with as we please, we would be as guilty as those who caused their extinction. Yeah, she says yeah. that, and then she says, I have a photographic memory. I'm like, that's, that's not what a... Is that what a photographic memory is? No, she reads, she sees words. But is that, that what, I thought that was something else. No, she just has something different. Well, a photographic memory isn't an actual, I, I, what, the closest thing is something called eidetic memory. Yeah. Which, which, uh, I think eidetic memory, you know. But I, isn't that, that's what Mary Lou from Taxi, Mary Lou Renner, is that her last name? Uh, no, you're thinking of, that's the, that's that's the gymnast. That's the gymnast. Mary, Mary Lou, Lou, Mary Lou no, Henner. Mary Lou Retton is the Mary, Henner. Henner, 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 Henner. Right, but Mary Lou Retton is the gymnast. Okay, so Mary Lou Henner has says she has a uh, what was it? Identic, identic. Yeah, she says she has one. Like she can remember the date and what she was wearing and all that stuff. Now, who the hell's gonna check? <laughs> like I could say, I, yeah, you know, then. April fifteenth, nineteen ninety seven. Now I had a pumpkin pie. That was a good pumpkin pie. I remember but, that pie. Mm, David Del- David Baldacci has a character in his in his uh, one of his books that he got injured in college in a football game, and after that he sees colors. He, words are colors to him. So she sees words when someone speaks to her. She sees the word. Okay. It just—I don't know. It's just very confusing. Yeah, that's what I interpret. That's what I interpret. It's one of those things like Tourette's, like sociopathy, like all sorts of other mental uh, conditions that have various things that 
define them in the real world and various things that define them in a screenwriter's typewriter. The big one, of course, being uh, dissociative identity disorder, <laughs> which is never anything like it is in a screen. Nope. But, you know. Scotty McCoy and Sulu, uh, but just Scotty McCoy. Sulu goes off to find the Huey. Yeah. But, so Scotty McCoy go to a plastic manufacturer. That they found in the yellow pages. Yeah, they found in the yellow pages <laughs> and give them the formula for transparent aluminum. Now, it's never really said specifically, but they give that to them so that they could get polymer to put in between. You know, I always thought that he was giving him transparent aluminum so he could make transparent aluminum so they could put it for the right. Whale. But I don't, watching it this time, he just gave it to him. In lieu of the money they don't have. And then he just... Because they don't have time to make a new tank. But he buys the tank with that. Right. Because he says... How thick would a piece of your plexiglass need to be at 60 feet by 10 feet to withstand the pressure of 18,000 cubic feet of water? Oh, that's easy. Six inches. We carry stuff that big in stock. That's what made me go, oh, they never make the transparent aluminum. It's the first time I really realized that, yeah. Which, uh, fun fact, was science fiction at this point is now science fact. We do have transparent aluminum. Uh, yeah, sort of, kind of, not really. Not, not, not literal transparent aluminum, but a, a close enough facsimile to it. Yeah, but, but it's also not that new. It's, I forget what it is. Perhaps a professor could use your computer. This is another wonderful scene. Great God, James Doohan so, scene. Hello, computer. Oh, but before that, you've got... I find it hard to believe that I've come millions of miles. Thousands. Thousands. Thousands of miles. (laughs) There's just... The the chemistry is amazing. I mean, look, now is the time... Obligatory gush over uh, to Forrest Kelly. Sure. Forrest Kelly is so funny in this movie. Don't bury yourself in the park. I don't remember Bones and Scotty having a whole lot of time together, and they work really well together. I'm wondering if this is something that Nimoy saw in like their real true friendship and was like, let's give them some scenes together. It's yeah. funny. Well, didn't, didn't they room? Didn't they? Didn't they share a bathroom? <laughs> yes, in a in a private chat, uh, dear listeners, we found a blueprint of the original Constitution class. Uh, Enterprise, and apparently, for some reason, the chief medical officer and the chief engineer had to share a bathroom. <laughs> They're senior staff. They're arguably, you know, fifth and sixth in line to take over. Scott Scotty is fourth in the chain of command. Excuse me, fourth and oh, both. sorry, third. Scotty's third in the chain of command after after Kirk and um, Spock. So, and he doesn't not, get his own bathroom. Not anybody else from the bridge. No, because he was only the only full commander, at least in the, on the original series. He he is the highest ranking after, because um, everybody else is not a commander except uh, McCoy. But you wouldn't put a CMO in a in a chain of command. I feel like that goes hand in hand, at least in Starfleet. If you're the chief medical, you have to be a commander. I can't think of a chief medical that yeah, isn't yeah. a commander. Yeah, no, except maybe the EMH program. Hello, computer. Just use the keyboard. The keyboard. How quaint. And he just really just... But I love that it's a build. It's like a chunk, 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 chunk. Chunk. (laughs) And then he hits... So they do a great job of... You know that uh, James Doohan was missing a couple of fingers. 
He's missing his right middle finger. Right middle finger. Shot off in the the war. Oh, that's right. Um, and it's expertly hidden throughout. You know, like, basically, James Doohan is missing that finger. Montgomery Scott is not. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they managed to do it with the, with the, the typing bit is pretty impressive. Because he just uses his pointers. If you notice, right. he, he only types like this. He hunts and pecks really fast by the end. Me too. <laughs> I'm mean, very, very skilled two-fingered typist. I, I, I don't do full QWERTY typing. I never. No, I, I don't do full QWERTY typing either, but I don't, I'm not going chunk, 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 chunk. I do. Um, yeah, but you can't use. I can't make transparent aluminum. Is that what you're yeah, right. No, no. Mom said she can do QWERTY typing. I was like, well, yes, but there are some other technological things. Weird <laughs> <laughs> lips. Uh, so meanwhile. That's not that's- how voice to text works, Mom. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm dipping, I can do voice to text. I just never proofread it, and it's never yeah, okay, so, so let's go back a step. You cannot do voice to text. If it doesn't come through clear, you're not doing it. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can. Oh. Um, so meanwhile, uh, Uhura and Chekhov have discovered the nuclear-powered ship that they need. And Admiral, it is the Enterprise. But they interrupt Kirk's. Now, okay, so. Is oh, Kirk oh, yes, trying, the pizza scene. Is Kirk trying to pick her up or what? No, I don't think he is at all. I think he is flirting to get information. I do not think he is full-on hitting on this woman. Until, until the end when they're in the future. And he's like, well, I mean, humanity saved. I mean, I got some time. You want to... Yeah. My ship's right over here. So it's a, it's a charm offensive. Oh, 100%. I do not think he is... You, Mom, do you agree? Or do you think he's trying to hit, pick her up? Yes. Yes, no, no, I don't, I don't. He also does a very bad job of it. <laughs> yeah, we we think he is because of the past things that we've seen Kirk Well, do. here we are, but, but is I this contributing it, to Kirk drift? I think yeah. But, no, I mean, she's she's his type. She's a 100%. brainy blonde. That's definitely Kirk's thing. We've established that. Um, well, Kirk's yeah. a nerd. There's a great, there's a little moment when he sips the beer at the, the restaurant. Oh, my God. Which, it's, where I was like, but wait. Kirk must have had beer at some point, but it's all synthol. Not from 1986. Oh, I'm no, I'm. They, there's still real alcohol in the future. There's not real alcohol readily available on Starfleet ships, but there's real alcohol. I decided that my new head canon is in the 23rd century. The horrifying curse that is light American lager has finally disappeared. All they have is good craft beer, <laughs> <laughs> and he tasted. He's like, oh, it's like a, a goat. Piss this first. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's an accurate way to describe Michelob. <laughs> I thought he. I thought when he sipped it, he looked at it and like, oh, this is interesting. Oh no, that is because it's something that he's. That's well, that's the way I interpreted yeah. it. That is a oh, I've I don't want this in my mouth anymore. Well, no, because he took another big gulp. Yeah, of it. and he oh, makes later. the same face again. We'll, <laughs> we'll get in Star Trek to the person who keeps drinking a drink even though they hate it. We'll get to that in a couple of movies. Um, <laughs> can I tell a story about the pizza oven? Yeah. There's a story about the pizza oven? So that quick shot where you see the pizza oven, right? That wasn't mm-hmm. in that restaurant. And Harv Bennett and all the other producers were like, we got to have the pizza oven. So they put a $250,000 pizza oven in this restaurant for 10 seconds of screen time and then freaking left it there. So this restaurant wow. got a $250,000 pizza oven 
to let them film there. Plus got paid to film there, to shut down the restaurant, to have it be all the extras. Wow. Nice, nice work if you can get it. In this scene, um, Kirk, uh, you know, the temporal investigation department would probably not like Kirk being like, I'm from the future so flippantly. I am from what on your calendar would be the late 23rd century. I've come back in time to bring two humpback whales with me in an attempt to repopulate the species. I do love, though, I mean, he gives her a very slimmed-down version. He leaves out the probe or anything. He's like, I'm here to repopulate the species, Mm -hmm. which is probably for the best. But I kind of love that, I mean, this movie is just so, it's, it's, the the second act particularly, it's kind of weird. Like, it's just like, we're not going to bother with the cover story. Uh, Yeah, where I'm from the future, I'm bringing humpback whales. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Let's see how that goes, you know? And also, I love her reaction when she's like, Well, why didn't you just say so. I mean, why all the coy disguises? Oh, I like the... Don't tell me. You're from outer space. No, I'm from Iowa. I only work in outer space. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines from this movie. Is this when Kirk is established as being from Iowa? or I can't remember. Because there, there's some inconsistency. There is, you know, um, Conscience of the King makes it seem like he at least partially grew up in space on a... On a um, oh. A, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, there's also the that uh, there's a Star Trek episode where you see his tombstone, and it's uh, James Tiberius. No, it's not. It's not a T. It's some other letter of the alphabet. Really? It's like James M. Kirk or something. Remember, but it just remember doesn't sound. Remember, good. they were they were never planning for these to be seen again. <laughs> you know, right. gotta make yep. this week's episode 100%. and move on to next week's. All television was disposable. Which I would just listen to an interview with uh, Anson Mount about Strange New Worlds, and that's what they're going to go for: Planet of the Week. Oh, interesting. You nice. know, more, more, ser- more of a uh, 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 not a serialized show. I'm like, I'm, I'm cool with that. Like, especially if it's the Enterprise under Pike. I'm, I'm ready for that. That's going to be super fun. As you said, uh, Kirk's dinner is interrupted, and I just love the... What is it? I thought I told you never to call me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Admiral. We just thought you'd like to know. We're beaming them in now. All right. Tell them phasers on stun. Good luck, Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> they collect the power they need, but are discovered on board. Now, my best friend and co-host of uh, the Superpod HeroCast, Todd, was an SP in the Air Force, and was a dog handler. And I sent yeah. him this scene of the guy up on top with the dog that clearly wants to go down both those steps. And uh, Todd wrote, that handler is a idiot. <laughs> like, your dog is pointing down somewhere you investigate. <laughs> okay. I well, just... But I was actually going to ask you to ask Todd about this. Like, would there just be regular canine patrol while they were docked in, like... Um, on, but he and he was Air Force, not Navy. So you know he would be patrolling on the plane that he always yes. flew. Because um, <laughs> Todd flew planes. Yeah, this is established uh, canon. But and so did the dog. Uh, yeah. So I just don't know that 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 I was like really a canine. Okay. Um, he, that didn't rub him, and he, he you know he could see the whole scene and see that it was a, a, a aircraft carrier or at least some sort of vessel. It was a nuclear whistle. That would have made it, yes, that they probably would have had, even if they were in dock, 
Because remember, it's 1986. Isn't the Cold War sure still is. going on there? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, well, then, yeah, they would have had that. Well, that's the that's the whole reason they wind up conspiring to have it be Chekhov who gets caught and, you know, a Russian. Oh, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because, I mean, obviously, Chekhov on the original series was a big deal. The idea, you know, in the future, we'll share space with, we, with the Russians, right. not compete with them. Mm-hmm. You know, so, of course, he was actually really put there as a, as a sort of Beatles-type Love, you know, young person. That's why he has that hair in the original series. He has basically a Beatles mop top because they were like, we got to get a young person in here. The kids like those Beatles. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and yet everybody wanted the Spock cut more than anything else. Yeah. And also, yeah, he was, uh, Walter Kennig was older when he started that than Chris Pine was when he. <laughs> The first played Kirk. Oh, for real? Oh, yeah. Wow. Young was entirely different in 1966 than it was <laughs> in 19, 2006. Give him moppy hair. He looks young. Um, speaking yeah. of Walter Koenig's hair, and this is, I feel fine talking about it because he obviously does not hide it. This is the best his piece looks. This is the, probably the last movie where you're not, it's not obvious that he is wearing a piece. It was a. Uh, hair piece. Yeah. Walter Koenig is very, yeah, very bald. Um, in fact, it either wears a hat or just goes bald when he's not playing Chekhov, pretty much. But for some reason, every time he shows up as Chekhov, including in uh, Star Trek Generations, he has that. I'm like, but we have a bald captain. Do you, think, <laughs> do you think it's possible that Shatner has a stipulation in his contract that nobody can have a wig as good as his? Yeah, because it get <laughs> just like by the time we get to Generations, that wig is rough it's also rushed there's also some some swimming scenes later in this film where you can see it kind of <laughs> oh yeah oh, oh yeah. yeah oh boy yeah oh i just looked up a picture of him my yeah. god he is yeah bald, and he doesn't he? hide it so i have no problem yeah. he's not like <clears throat> someone else in this movie william shatner uh who embraces his baldness it's just he you know um oh shoot who is another actor who is bald but will wear a piece for for Stuff and it's that nobody. Carl Reiner, <laughs> no RuPaul. Yes, exactly RuPaul. I'm not going to think of it, but I, there's another actor I'm trying to think of that is bald in real life. Oh, Billy Zane. Billy Zane wears hair pieces all the time, oh, yeah. but is is bald and yeah. does not hide it's, his and baldness. It, and, yeah, and he's not only bald, and he's totally mm-hmm. bald. He's yeah, he's he's John Luke bald. He's he's he, Brenner. Well, he he's shaves his head, bald. but he he has a hairline like. Uh, Sir Patrick does. So Uhura and Chekhov go on to the aircraft. They collect the power they need, but are discovered on board. Uhura beams out, but Chekhov is captured, which is, I don't know if, I, I'm sure it's supposed to be funny, but I i laugh every time that where he's trying to get Scotty to beam out. Scotty, now would be a good time. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely <laughs> so supposed good. to be funny. And then all those, just, all the soldiers come out and they've all got guns on them. That's just. Wasn't that uttered by somebody else in, in either the TOS or. You're probably remembering Something? this. I always, I remember loving that line. Scotty, now would be a good time. Now would be a good time. <laughs> Just thought somebody else had uttered it when they was when he was they were trying to get Scotty to beam him. Calvin Universe Kirk yells at a bunch when they're uh, skydiving in the 2009 Star Trek. I love the whole who's on first routine he has with the <laughs> FBI agent. All right, Commander. Is there anything you want to tell us? Like what? Like who you really are and what you're doing here and what these these things here are. I am Pavel Chekhov, a commander in Starfleet, United Federation of Planets, service number 656-58270. All right, let's take it from the top. The top of what? 
name. My name? No, my name. I do not know your name. You play games with me, mister, and you're through. I am? May I go now? Yeah, he's hilarious. He's, I mean, everybody gets a, a lovely, you know, bit of, of funny to shine oh, on. I like that his, his phaser didn't work either. Yeah. I will have to phase you. <laughs> I, the noise it makes is so pathetic to that. Stun me. Very sorry, but... Throws at him. And the look <laughs> the FBI agent has on his face, like, where where are you going? You're on an aircraft carrier. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> like that that FBI agent is done with Chekhov. I think he's done with everything. <laughs> he feels like he was an up-and-coming field agent and pissed somebody off and got assigned. Like, there was there just an FBI agent hanging out on this aircraft carrier. They call in the, oh, the no, San Francisco uh, branch. Okay. FBI. Another field officer is a field officer, I'm sure. The Storyteller series brings you full cast audio productions of short stories. I'm the host, Megs. And each month we'll bring you a brand new story performed by talented voice actors, interviews with great authors, and exclusive print edition stories. Listen wherever you enjoy podcasts. Catch us on Twitter and Instagram at NSR Storyteller or at nightshiftradio.com. The Storyteller series. Old time radio rebooted. The next thing really to talk about is Jillian uh, learns that the whales have been uh, released early. They're supposed to release that evening with a news conference. She sees Bob. Bob tries to explain it. They left last night. We didn't want a mob scene with the press. It wouldn't have been good for them. Besides, we thought it would be easier on you this way. You sent them away without even letting me say goodbye Jillian. to them? You son of a bitch! She slaps Bob, which was unscripted, and the actor's reaction is 100% genuine. Really? <laughs> yes. Uh, what's her face? The, the actor, she decided to just... Slap him. And I'm like, oh, you discuss that with your acting partner before you slap some actors who might be listening. Don't don't do that. That's bad. That's bad. Um, That's that's very bad. You're going to upset your scene partner and destroy the blood pressure of your uh, fight choreographer. Mm -hmm. I had a note here when they they have the the matte painting of the tank all drained. (laughs) Yeah. Weren't there a bunch of other fish in there? Sure were. (laughs) R.I.P. those fish. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. We don't care we don't care about them. We we didn't want to have a big press conference for the whales, but we are having a big fish fry. No, they they lifted the whales out and then drained it and drained it into the into the bay and all the fish are in the bay. So those fish so have been eaten. Is that aquarium is just closing now? Yeah, they're just they're done. They're like without whales we will not have an aquarium. Well, that could very well be. George and Gracie were a No, big they just draw. wanted the drain tank thing, and they didn't think about it. You know? Well, it doesn't. It's, to me, it's unrealistic looking because it doesn't look like it's big enough to hold two whales. It's not. <laughs> they had a limited amount of like the like marine land would have been like you're not really treating these whales very well. Yeah. <laughs> they have to go rescue Chekhov. This is the most screwball this movie gets. Oh, sure. No, yeah, yeah. Oh, this no, is no, no, no. Silly Town, USA. Uh, the oh, when Spock says... We must help Chekhov. Is that the logical thing to do, Spock? No. But it is the human thing to do. To me, that is where Spock accepts his human side. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. it. In a certain sense, it's it's a, a reset from the sort of a, a certain acceptance he had, like in that the laughing scene in the first film, 
mm-hmm. when he wakes up after after mind melding with Viger. And and he's had to come back from that having died and come back. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it yeah, this is where you get the full and, and and this is sort of the last of arc that's been building through several films. You're right, Mom. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. His, and coming to a sense of peace. Yeah. And did you all know that Rand was in this? Who? Lieutenant Rand. Oh, yes. Grace Lee Whitney is in is, yeah. And Major Barrett. Major Barrett apparently had, as Christine Chapel, had several rather large scenes that were all cut. Ooh, awkward. Apparently, when Sarek comes to the... Um, at the beginning to the to the meeting, uh, there's a there was a, a whole scene where a security guard was trying to stop him, and she came and said, "This is Ambassador Sarek. You let him in." You know, mm-hmm. like the scene is like never been released or found any you know anywhere. That's which crazy. Is kind of it was wild. too serious. It was too serious for this film. It would have ruined the whole mood. We had to get to the screwball uh, emergency yeah. room scene. What's the matter with you? Kidney dialysis. Dialysis. My God, what is this, the Dark Ages? They put Jillian on a gurney, and they're trying to bring him into where spot, uh, where uh, Chekhov's being uh, operated on. They stop, and she lets out a moan. Oh! And- Damn it, do you want an acute case on your hands? This woman has immediate postprandial upper abdominal distension. Oh! And they go inside, and Kirk's like, what did you say she's got? Cramps. So they save Chekhov. How's the patient, doctor? He's going to make it. He, you came in with a sheet. One little mistake. Anytime you get Bones ranting, right? Uh-huh. I mean, if you can get a good McCoy <laughs> rant going, it's, it's such a great sequence. I mean, the movie is eminently quotable, but that, that whole hospital sequence is just hysterical. With, where the, the two doctors are trying to figure out how to treat the cancer and like... Do you have a different view, doctor? Sounds like a goddamn Spanish Inquisition. (laughs) (laughs) They're chased by the, uh, I almost said mall security. Not mall security. Hospital (laughs) security. They're about to get them, and they're beamed out of the elevator. Bones and Chekhov get on the ship. Kirk says goodbye to Jillian. Mom, as you said at the beginning, she jumps in right as the beaming is happening. They come back to uh, to, um, 2286. According to Wikipedia, they unfortunately lose power because they get too close to the alien probe, crash land into the San Francisco Bay, which is a problem because the whales kind of need air. How long can whales hold their breath? Does anyone know? Uh, I don't know. We could look it up. They can hold their breath for a while. Because it seems like it's about, well, I guess it's maybe like 15 minutes from when they beam them up to when they. Yeah, I think they can hold their breath that long. Okay. <clears throat> 90 minutes. Oh, oh okay. there you go. 90 minutes? Okay, thank you. Then, But speaking of holding breath, speaking of holding breath. Kirk? Another thing, yeah, well, another thing I remember, Bob, is I remember you. Oh, right. Probably when we watched it at home video being like, can you hold, nobody can hold their breath that long. Do you think, do you think yeah. Tom Cruise saw this and went, one day in a Mission Impossible movie, I will hold my breath this long. I will teach. But I, that I will beat mm-hmm. Kirk. How, how long do you think he holds his breath? I didn't time it. I did. So, like, oh, it's like almost four minutes. Because I because this one of the things I always remember about this movie is you saying that when we were watching it on a VHS dad taped off of HBO, probably. <laughs> probably, <laughs> most definitely. Do you, so, guesses on how long? Four and a half minutes. I don't know. It's a minute and five seconds. 
it's not that hard to hold your breath for a minute and five seconds. But, but he, remember, he's, you can sit to sit and hold your breath a minute and five seconds, but he's swimming around, he's trying to open the thing, and that takes a lot of energy. Um, yeah. And then he's got to get up. To Shatner's credit, he sputters and sucks for air when he comes back up. Sure does. I, you know, yeah. I can believe somebody could do that once with a lot of adrenaline. It, it, it definitely was expecting it to be more like four minutes, you know, but it's not it's that A minute long. and five seconds? Let's yeah, he's fine. But... It's Kirk. Yes. Um, hey, you know, we I, I accidentally uh, breezed over. What does Kirk say to Scotty? Scotty, beam me up. It's so close. I think it's as close as they get, right? What people always quote is, beam me up, Scotty. Right. This is as close so as it's, he gets. It's, a, it's as close as he gets. But yeah. it, it's still like the only time that has actually been... It, it, because all, all during the series, it would be Kirk to Enterprise, how many to beam up. You know, it was our Scotty, you know... Ener- energize or things yeah, like that. You know. it, it, and it's got to be a little like, eh, the thing you thought I said a bunch. <laughs> say the line. Um, say the line. I would, I've got a question. Yeah. Yes. Would two whales uh-huh. fit into a fetish, federation ship like the Enterprise? They would fit in the Enterprise. The Enterprise is much bigger than a bird of prey. But does it have that open space like that? They're cargo bay. Yeah, there's a cargo bay, probably. Racquetball court, the uh, shuttlecraft bay. You get the shuttlecrafts out of there. You could fit two humpback whales in there, no problem. Okay, All right. they free the the whales. Nimoy has a real hard time during this scene when the they're all falling uh, in the mm-hmm. water, or rather, Kirk is throwing everybody in the water, not smiling. I feel like this was just them goofing around. I feel like the the line between actor and character completely dissolves at the end there, and everybody is just. Having some fun. It would have been too bad if one of Nimoy's ears floated off. <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> They'd have to reshoot it. Like they kind of cut away, but you see, he gets up there after knocking everybody else in. Kirk starts to pull Spock in, and it's almost like Nimoy's like, No, God, Bill, we have a scene to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't yell cut. They probably couldn't hear him. In the- <laughs> yeah, right. Well, they're in a tank there, too. Oh, yeah, that's a 100% a tank on the Paramount backlog. Oh, yeah. That is not the San Francisco Bay. uh, They wanted to shoot in San Francisco Bay in a storm, but uh, they couldn't. Dropping a to scale back end of a bird of prey in the San Francisco Bay? Yeah, sure. Go right ahead. That's going to happen. So, Earth is saved. Bring in the accused. Then the crew of the Enterprise is sentenced. And, of course, Spock joins. I stand with my shipmates. The president of the Federation lays out what happened. Conspiracy, assault on Federation officers, theft of Federation property, namely the Starship Enterprise, sabotage of the USS Excelsior, willful destruction of Federation property, specifically the aforementioned USS Enterprise, and finally, disobeying direct orders of the Starfleet commander. Admiral Kirk, how do you plead? On behalf of all of us, Mr. President, I'm authorized to plead guilty. The only one that sticks, disobeying orders of a superior officer, is directed solely at Admiral Kirk. For that, let you be reduced in rank to captain. And that as a consequence of your new rank, you be given the duties for which you have repeatedly demonstrated unswerving ability. The command of a starship. Kirk and Jillian part ways. You mean this is goodbye? Why does it have to be goodbye? Well, like they say in your century, I don't even have your telephone number. <laughs> the, the reaction when she gives him the brush off, he's, what happened? <laughs> Wait a minute. I had this in the bag. Yeah, I'll see you around the so, galaxy. Where do you think she's going? A science vessel. You're going to your ship. I'm going to mine. Which is a 
Science vessel. Starship. Ah, see, is it a starship? What, well, Discovery is, is a science vessel, and it's a starship, isn't it? Right. It's not. It's not that there aren't star. Oh, do you think she's on like an outpost? A ship, ship. She's literally the only person who knows anything about humpback whales. Oh, you think she's? And we just had. We just brought two humpback whales into the future. Like, if I were assigning her or something, I would put her on a ocean-going vessel to follow those whales. Also, do they even how, do? That how do they anymore? repopulate when it's George and Gracie and little whatever? Little bit. Well, you did. You did say that this movie is quite a bit like Back to the Future. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's you know a little icky incest stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, well, you know they they could also have just flipped around the sun again and gone and gotten some more whales. <laughs> got, got a few like, more whales. You brought um, a mate for the baby, right? Now. Uh, we'll be back. Hang on. Flip it around the sun. <laughs> the hand wavium there is uh, either cloning. Oh. Uh, or CRISPR editing. They can go and genetically oh. genetically edit uh, GNA strands. By 2286, CRISPR editing is probably... Pl- they've got something better. Actually, CRISPR editing is illegal. In, uh, you know, gen- oh, yeah. Genetic modification is illegal in the Federation. Yes, 100%. That's right. Yes, that's what... That's right. At least on, on humans. On humans. I don't know if it's illegal on whales. That's Well, they don't have, they, they don't have any laws on that because they don't have any whales. Well, now that's they do. true. Now they do. Yeah, right. So they part ways. See you around the galaxy. The crew departs for their ship. I do enjoy and need to point out that uh, what does Sulu hope he gets? I'm counting on Excelsior. Well, Sulu, just wait two movies, buddy. You'll get there. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I always I always felt like it's a little unfair when... Why in God's name would you want that bucket of bolts? It's only a bucket of bolts because you sabotaged it's like, it. It's, yeah, it's, well, it, it was a perfectly good ship until you sabotaged it. It's so good it becomes the Enterprise <laughs> B. I mean, an Excelsior <laughs> class is what the Enterprise B is. So shut your yeah. mouth, Scotty. Well, I have a question. Kirk is demoted to captain. Sure is. Mm-hmm. Spock is captain. They're mm-hmm. co-captains. Two- <laughs> There's captain the rank, and then there is the captain of a ship, who is in command of a yeah, ship. He is not only the ca- captain; he's the COC. Uh, so COC. It's, it's at- commander. Commanding officer or commander? Uh, C. What is it? Not- COS. Commander of ship. <laughs> I don't remember. Go ahead. On extremely important flagship vessels, it's actually not unusual for there to be more, you know, two or three people who are full full captains. Oh. Uh, Crimson Tide. Are, isn't Denzel a captain also? Aren't they both captains? God, I haven't seen Crimson, Crimson Tide, Tide in Tide. years. Gene, Gene Hackman, Denzel Washington, submarine movie. You don't remember Crimson Tide? That's a great movie. Um, oh, I just, oh, I've seen it, I'm sure. I just don't remember. Or is he an admiral? I can't remember. There is a sense now that, like, literally everybody has reached commander or captain rank and has never been sent to any other ship. Well, not yet. That, but we'll get there. So they're in spaceport. There's the Excelsior in front of them. Everyone's like, ah, oh, damn, we're getting the Excelsior. And up over the ridge, what do we have? NCC 1701. A USS Enterprise, which I'm guessing, like we talked about, I think in the motion picture, is just a refitted Constitution class that was something else. I mean, nobody, they've never said what it was, but there's lots of fan theories or whatever. But yeah, it, they didn't build a new one in a week, right. you know. So registry numbers, right? The whole point of a registry number is you can change the name of a ship, but you still know what 
actual physical ship it was, the registry number doesn't change. So if you rename a ship from Yorktown to Enterprise, it keeps the registry number because that identifies that actual ship. So very little about putting A, B, C, D after it makes sense from... From a nautical standpoint, yeah. From the, yeah. And that having been said... They, they fix it with... They fix it with... Um, we love it, right? Uh, the Defiant. When they get the new Defiant, it's the Sao Paulo's uh, registry number, but it's renamed the Defiant. It doesn't get the Defiant's old... Well, oh, interesting. The, the original Defiant is an NX, which is... Uh, in in Starfleet, a um, yeah. experimental ship, which is the Excelsior is in Star Trek Three. And of course, at this point, they're already next generations in development, so they know right. they're going to do a D, which is why. So it's setting it up with the A, even though these are being developed by totally separate branches, they just pass each other in the hall. And um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, we're going to make the Enterprise a D. What? Right, well, make an A, I guess. It's weird. We get some time with the A. We get a whole series and then one movie with the D. Then we get three movies with the E. The B and the C don't get a whole lot of love. There's a lot of novels if you really want to I read I don't. It. I just... I, I didn't think you so. You know, I just... I love the look of the Enterprise C. I love the look of the, the... In this film, the very brief time. And it's like three lines that we spend on the... At the very end, on the Enterprise A's... Um, Bridge? Bridge. Yeah, yeah, the refit of the bridge is really cool. I remember I thought of it as I was watching. I was like, oh, that feels, it stops feeling like as much of a period piece bridge. Mm -hmm. It feels sort of more shiny and modern. Yeah, it's really. What is Kirk's big uh, fun line? Let's see what she's got. It's not as good as some of his other. We get the one at the end of six and out there that away. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one in six is the best one. I mean. Yeah, even I though like, I am, even though again, it's like Captain, you have to give me a trajectory. I can't <laughs> follow second start to the right. <laughs> I am fond of out there that away at the end of motion picture. Sure, probably because it, it's the most fun uh, moment in that entire movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Go, <laughs> like, oh, there's humor. Remember that? Uh, but th so the set, th the set for the the bridge of the A is actually the same set that was used for the Saratoga, which is actually a redress of the. Reliant Enterprise set from the very from the first two movies, and then doesn't it? Oh, last two movies. Doesn't it then become the Battle Bridge, uh, the yeah. Star Drive section yeah, yeah. of the uh, of the Enterprise? I D? think I think it, I think it probably does. They reuse <laughs> the thr thrift thrift ratio. Yes. Oh boy. Okay. So that was Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home, the one with the whales. Um, and we of course have questions here at the end that we would like to ask i'll start with um i think i know the answer is this a good movie oh yes yeah. this is this is not a good movie this is a great movie this is top notch movie no go ahead colin you can ask the next one uh is it good star trek yes it may not be good pure star trek but like i said it is a trek they are on a mission it is scientific you know it it's it's good trek Oh, I think it's really great. I mean, it's f light. A light comedy episode is a is a fine tradition uh, in Star Trek, and when it works, it's great. When it's work, when it works, you get uh, you get Cupid or piece of the action or <laughs> uh, what's the baseball episode? Take me out of the oh, on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, yeah, um, but 
Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yes, that's a great episode. Right. You know, and 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 this is you know, Star Trek can be can be a, a light comedy. It, it is definitely part of the DNA, and it's <laughs> and and but more to the point, it's so much like the 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 character because space is taken away for most so much of the movie and the future and science fiction is mostly taken away. The characters really get to shine. Yeah. What do you think, mom? Is this good Star Trek? Uh, yes, I definitely agree. I, and, and with the next one, would you recommend this to someone who's into Trek? I would recommend it to someone who's not into Trek. Well, uh, well the question is, do you recommend it as someone's intro to Trek? A hundred percent, which is what I you're saying. Even, yeah, I can't even read. Yeah, I, it's, it's um, you, you might have to explain a little bit at the beginning of it, because if they don't know the backstory on how they got the bird of prey and blah, yeah, blah, two blah, and three, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But once you get into it, it, it even if you're not into science fiction, it's just such a great movie. Yeah. You, you, you leave feeling good. There's a large chunk of this movie that doesn't feel like science fiction also. No, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah it's definitely, it's a great one for someone who's a little skeptical, who's, and that's maybe not for me. And it, it's a great, it, it's a good gateway drug. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, because they, they, if you want someone to kind of fall in love with these characters, they can fall with love with them here and... and then maybe you can introduce them to something that's a little more spacey Star Trekky. No, no, I might give. Uh, I might try this with the bean. I just last night she had too much other things to do, homework and whatnot, so I didn't even bother. It might be a Friday night movie thing. Yeah. Oh no, she doesn't like Star Trek. But tell her this is not like Star Trek. It's funny. No, she doesn't like Star Wars. She does not know Star Trek. Really. Oh. Well then, yeah. It definitely this would be a good intro to it. Colin, you want to give us a little Kirk Drift status update? Well, I think we sort of clocked it. I mean, I think a lot of people probably see this movie and think he's he's hitting on her and and that it's a it's a sort of Lothario thing. There's also the like I was talking about his insane confidence, <laughs> you know, of just like okay, let's go get these whales and you know, like <laughs> right? But it doesn't feel like we're we're really totally off the mark here yet. No, in I, terms of who he is, I definitely agree. You can see those things that will later. Again, like I think this this thing of like at least these last three movies, Wrath of Khan, Star Trek, uh, Search for Spock, and Voyage Home. It's like Kirk going through one of the most significant emotional upheavals of his life. His best friend is dying. He's his career is being destroyed, you know, all the, mm -hmm. and sort of who he is in these movies is different than who he is full stop. And I think these movies are so popular that I think it distorts people's pop culture view of him. Sure. I think they, they'll lean more into that in the next two films. Oh, sure. Yeah. Especially we're, by, th by the time we get to six, it's just yeah, yeah. full smarmy Kirk. So the best moment in the film, it's hard to choose. To yeah, go ahead. It's, yeah. The funniest moment is the scene in the truck. But the best moment <laughs> is when Spock says, Admiral, we have to rescue Chekhov. To me, that's just like, it, 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 that, that really touched me. Because it's like, yeah. it, it, like you've said, Spock's always trying to push down his humanity. Uh-huh. And... He lets it all come out there. Because I don't think a Vulcan would have said that. That's the human side of Spock speaking. 
Okay. I see that. I definitely see that. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> There's so many to choose from. I'm, I'm My brain is racing. Uh, I mean, I, I love the, the truck scene Mom was talking about before. Kirk and Spock as Chico and Harpo, you know, like, <laughs> just like as a, co- a total common Orange George Though and Gracie. I, uh, that's true, yeah. I do also want to point out it's another scene that I love that ties into the one you were talking about, Mom, uh, is when he says to Sark at the end, you know, tell tell Mother I feel fine. Yes, that's yeah. a nice moment. That's a nice moment. Yeah. Yeah. That is a good moment, too. You know, no, you know, best moment for me when they're having the pizza. Let me guess, you're from outer space. No, I work in oh, outer yeah. space. I'm, I'm from Iowa. That has stuck with me for years. I mean, that is that is one of the lines I think of yeah. when I think of this movie. No, I work in outer yeah. space. I'm from Iowa. And the way he says it, no, 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 no. Is there anything anyone would cut? Not really. No. I kind of would add some of the stuff, Colin, that you mentioned that got cut out of the film. I'd love to see more Major Barrett. I'd be interested to see if those sequence, if those ever resurface. See, I saw Mom's face. Uh, I would like more Nurse Chapel, Laxwana. I don't oh, want to see okay. any Laxwana ever, ever, ever again. She is the most uh, obnoxious Luxwana. character. I, ever. I don't. I, I will, will not stand for Laxwana. It's Laxwana. Troy Who is it? Slander, Deanna Troy's mother, played by the same actress. L W A X A Loxana. Listen every time they say it, it's Loxana Troy. Loxana. That's what I'm saying. You're saying Loxana. 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 No okay. Nope. Well, you know what? No, it, there's an L. You have to go Lua. 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 I, I finished my drink. So She's great. Me. She's great. Also, especially. Especially her Deep Space Nine episode. Yes, she is much less obnoxious on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, no, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't cut anything. This is this is this may be the only one of these movies I don't want to cut anything. I'll be interested to see if any of those longer deleted scenes ever show up. If this gets another like, at some point somebody's going to push for a 4K release on these, maybe for uh, the the film. You know, this let's see, eighty six. So this this movie's got a got a anniversary coming up in about five years and you know maybe i saw some stupid article that said that uh the jack zack snyder justice league is ruining director's cuts and i'm like that's only because you are saying that like mm-hmm. that we won't get director's cuts anymore i'm like if anything we'll get more director's cuts if we get a fan base behind it so do we want to start release the chapel cut <laughs> the chapel cut, yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay, admiral status actor. Who is the actor who who wins admiralty in this movie? George and Grace. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the whales will win. It's oh. it, it's hard to say because it is such an ensemble film. Mm-hmm. But I think DeForest Kelly gets some so much great stuff. I, I'm going to say him because. Uh, that scene he has, uh, we didn't even talk about that great scene he has with Spock on the bridge of the bounty, you know, where he's trying to get him to talk about death. And oh, just, you know. you know what? That may that might take over my best moment, though. Are you busy? Uhura is busy. I am monitoring. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the thing, the thing that with, with this is that Spock in this is so different from the Spock we've seen before. Because even though he has this deadpan face, he comes back, his comedic talents, I never really 
pictured Leonard Nimoy doing comedy. He's great at the straight man. Yeah. Yeah, but he's not always the straight man here. He comes out with some stuff and it's like, I can't believe he just said that. The damn well, the, the swearing. I mean, it's but just, it's still, it's it's still, on all the wrong places. But it's still the straight man character because he's, he's doing it as, you know, very, he's not like when. He's not trying to be funny. Yeah. He, he is the unintentional funny man of the movie. Oh, I, 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 yeah, I thought I mean, the character is obviously the actor is. But. Yeah, uh, yeah. So who's who's? It, are you giving it to DeForest Kelly, Colin? Yes. How about you, Mom? Nimoy. Nimoy. I'm I'm going to give it to the guy that loses his admiralty in this movie. I think this is the best <laughs> um, Kirk we get. Like, it's it just the, even better than than the search for Spock. Yes. Yes, because he's mm-hmm. not doing the overdramatic moments. This is the, I like this William Shatner. There's a looseness about him. Uh-huh. He seems very relaxed and loose, and, and everybody is having a lot of fun making this movie. Because he was doing LDS. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they're in San Francisco, which is a you know lovely. Yeah, right. But before it got too expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is there any recommended episode pairings? Oh, sure. Okay, go ahead. Well, um, I mean, look, there's no, no shortage of great uh, Star Trek. Uh, we talked about some of them before. Great Star Trek um, time travel episodes. Sure. Uh, and the best, and arguably the best, what many people think is the best episode of the original series, is City on the Edge of Forever. Oh, yeah. That's, that's definitely a, up there. Definitely not a light and funny tone. You're not going to feel good. No, no, you're definitely not. In fact, it, it is genuine tragedy in moments, but um, it's a great, great episode. Maybe watch that and, and then watch yeah, Star Trek Four yes. to lift your spirits again. Yeah. Do you know that episode, Mom? How about with Tribbles? No, I don't. You, it's you, the one, it's I, the know, one tell me that the, Joan Collins is in. Mm-hmm. How long ago well, did I watch these fair. things? <laughs> so it, uh, Kirk, Kirk and Spock get accidentally thrown back to the 1930s and save a woman... Yeah, is oh, yeah, yeah. it Bones and there too? Kirk fall- no, no. Well, no, that's no. who they're chasing. Bones has been accidentally overdosed and is going a little nuts. Right. And Kirk falls in love with her, and Spock yeah. says she has to die because she leads a pacifist movement that convinces the United States not to enter the Second World War, and then therefore the Nazis win. So, right message, yeah. wrong time. You know. Right. It's a. It's it's a it's a great ends with her know, getting hit great. by a car with. Bones holding Kirk mm-hmm. back, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's all. Whole, that's all I really remember from the episode. Well, re, well, really, really ends with them going back through the Guardian of the Edge of the Forever, Kirk and Kirk just being absolutely broken. And his last line is, "Let's get the hell out of here." Oh. It's just like it's a great episode. Wow. But. Okay. Now, how come they're pairing those two together with that really depressing one? Time travel, baby. Oh, time travel. It's a time travel episode. You know, it's it's a totally different flavor. It's like uh, if we're recommending it as a pairing, it's it's the vinegar before the honey. <laughs> now, if yeah. I were to pair, and this may be totally yeah. wrong, but the comedy in this, yeah. to me, brings up triple. Oh, yeah, there you go. Well, and Definitely. if you want to do a time travel episode of that, go to Deep Space Nine, Trials and Tribulations. That's a good episode, uh, that, too. That's that's a, no, Deep Space Nine, so. So, so for the 50th and 40th anniversary? 40th. Maybe? 40th anniversary, they did an episode <laughs> of Deep Space Nine where they went back in time to the events of tr- of of the Trouble with Tribbles. <laughs> 
and they digitally inserted the actors from Deep Space Nine into scenes. Oh, wow. They Forrest Gumped them. Yeah, it's a really fun episode. You could definitely, if you know Tribbles, you could watch it and... Still enjoy it. You don't really need to know the Deep Space Nine characters as much at all. I love the Tribbles. You just need to know, you know, Worf's a Klingon, the end. Yeah, but it's true. Yeah, it's Tribbles. Any of the really good, successful comedy episodes is also, you know, Tribbles, Piece of the Action. Okay, that's it. Those are the successful (laughs) comedy episodes, but... Yeah, I, you know, you mentioned Cupid. Like, when's the last time you watched Cupid? I love Cupid. It wasn't funny the last time. I was like, oh, this is very, like, everyone I will, always I will live of, and die by I am not a merry man. But aside from that line, the episode's kind of crap. Oh, no, that's sad. It's not great. It's makes, not great. That makes me sad. I'm sorry. It's not. I think you need to rewatch it and you will go, okay, it's not as great as I remember it being. Now, I've got a question. I hopefully have an answer. This was written by Leonard Nimoy was part of the writing. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of the of the writing, of the comedic writing was L- Nimoy, if he had anything to do with any of it. Because I have no idea. Well, so, I have no idea. So Nimoy of... only had story credit, so he probably didn't have much to do with the screenplay. Uh, but but he and and Chatner both got to do a pass. Uh, of approval, so they got to suggest edits and things. Those would probably have been story edits, but the only credited screenwriters are um, Harv Bennett and Nicholas Meyer, but most Hollywood movies have a thousand screenwriters, you know? Yeah. It, it, Nimoy just doesn't strike me as somebody who would ver- be very good at writing comedy. I mean, he was very uh, I don't good think at he doing wrote... it, I thought, but but he and and directing it. I mean, the other his other big directing thing was Three Men and a Baby, which is yep. enormously That's successful right. comedy. That's right. So I forgot about that. A movie with a real live ghost in it. What? Oh, never. That's for another time. There's an <laughs> oh, urban yeah, legend yeah, yeah. that there's a there's a standee of Nimoy, I believe, as Spock. In the background of one scene, but it's behind a drape, and it, like in VHS copies of it, it looks like it's a, uh, it's like the the Munchkin that hangs himself in um, uh, Wizard Oz. Once we got it in high def, we all went, "Oh, it's a peacock." <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. I don't know okay. how we mistook that peacock for a little person hanging themselves, but okay. Well, urban legends. They're the best. Okay, so that's all we have for this episode of Where No Mom Has Gone Before. Thank you for listening. You can uh, find us on Twitter at Where No Mom Pod. You can find me on Twitter at Not Ryan Casey and on Instagram at Not Dot Ryan Casey. Uh, and I actually just changed my Twitter handle. It's now at Double Dumbass on You. Excellent. <laughs> now you can find me at roll at at roll of Colin Ryan. And I, yes. don't, I don't do Twitter or Instagram, so you can't yeah, find leave me our anywhere. mother alone. Damn it! You can reach mom via carrier pigeon. <laughs> at. Thank you again for listening to this uh, episode. Hope you enjoyed and we'll it. We'll see. Yes, we'll see you in the new year. And mm. mom, that's your line. No, I never. I can't do it. I don't even can't remember it. Okay. Colin, feet of the line. We have been. We have been. We have, we been. have been. Wait, wait for him to say the whole thing, <laughs> then you say it. I won't remember. I'm, it's ten thirty at night. I'm not, it's eleven oh seven. I know. We need to start recording this first, and then just moving into the end. We have been. We have been. And always shall be. 
and always shall be your podcast. Your podcast. That's it. We keep that. We're just we shot the rehearsal. We're good. Yeah, I, I think I can just edit around that. No, you need to keep that exactly as it's with that's you comedy. with you saying it back to her. It's comedy gold. I think that's what we'll do. We'll just keep it as that. <laughs>